Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Policy Pack Software, now part of Networks, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lock down applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And before I move away from Policy Pack, just a quick reminder, as covered on last week's weekly webinar, I will be co-presenting a webinar with Jeremy Moskowitz on Thursday, March 31st, 7 p.m. Central European Time, 1 p.m. Eastern. And that will be on the topic of migrating native group policy objects to Intune. So if you're interested, register. And if you can't attend, at least check out the recording. The podcast is also brought to you by Liquidware, the innovator in adaptive workspace management solutions. And of course, also brought to you by ControlUp, end-to-end digital experience management for the work-from-anywhere era. ControlUp, happy users, happy IT. If you enjoy the show each week, give these awesome sponsors to thank. And now for some news. As promised on last week's episode, more developments have come to light on the Lapsus hack of Okta. Now, if you didn't catch last week's episode, I suggest going back and listening to at least the first stories from last week's episode before you listen to this to catch yourselves up. But in addition to last week, now Wired have an article that seems to lean mostly on Okta's slow disclosure, pointing that they got a detailed report from their partner Saitel on March 17th, four days before the hacking group shared screenshots online. I already covered a similar timeline on last week's episode. Um, that it was claimed on March 17th that the report that was provided wasn't with full details, and instead a full detailed report only arrived as the screenshots were leaked online. But Wired are reporting that the March 17th report contained a detailed timeline of events, so it doesn't sound like it was just a summary that couldn't have been used as a basis to alert their customers with, at least in my opinion. Wired.com also reported that At the outset, the attackers were also able to gain enough system privileges to disable security scanning tools that might have flagged their intrusion sooner, and the timeline showed that attackers initially compromised Sykes, which was a partner of Cytel, which is a partner of Okta, on January 16th, and then ramped up their attack throughout the 19th and 20th of January until their last login on the afternoon of the 21st which the timeline calls complete mission. It's also been stated that the attackers did not attempt to maintain operational security much at all. They quite literally searched the internet on their compromised machines for no malicious tooling, downloading them from official sources. You may recall that last week I reported that Krebs on security disclosed that one of the hackers may have been a 16 year old living in the UK. Well, ZDNet have now reported that seven individuals between the ages of 16 and 21 years old have been arrested by UK law enforcement. The City of London Police did not formally name the hacking group or provide any further detail concerning their inquiry. On Wednesday, the BBC reported that a 16-year-old teenager from Oxford who used the, quote, white and, quote, breach-based aliases online was accused of being affiliated to the Lapsus hacking group. 
White has been tracked for over a year and was reportedly doxxed online after falling out with others involved in the underground, leading to the leak of his personal information. So that certainly gives credence to Krebs on security reporting that this 16-year-old was involved. Law enforcement has not commented, however, on whether this teenager is among those who have been arrested. In further developments, Kim Zetter shared that hackers accessed a spreadsheet on Cytel's internal network early on January 21st called domadmins-lastpass.xlsx. And the file name obviously suggests the spreadsheet contained passwords for domain administrator accounts that were exported from a Cytel employee's LastPass password manager. Dope. Uh, rather than rake them over the coals for this, though, I will say that in almost every enterprise environment I've worked in, I found passwords just laying around in plain text, sitting in text files or CSV files on file shares. Uh, this does not surprise me in the least, though it is a worrying practice and is something that should really be stamped out. I think organizations have to do a really good job of scrutinizing what's living out on their network. Certainly, these hacking groups are able to find it within days, so why can't internal security teams? It appears, at least at the time of this recording, that the advice hasn't changed, and I guess this breach still is something that shouldn't concern customers, although it sounds pretty concerning to me. Um, Cytel have also reconfirmed that the issue has been remediated on their side. If nothing else, the response to this breach has been pretty poor because it's turned into such a cluster in terms of communication now. Hopefully it is true and there's really no concern to customers and that continues to be the case. There was a pretty bad issue disclosed on Citrix ADCs this week by Citrix via article CTX399375. And this one is that Citrix ADC appliances might crash when certain conditions are triggered from the Citrix Workspace app for macOS or Windows OS clients. Citrix have said they're working on fixes, and it looks like for those on the 13.1 version, you can expect a fix pretty soon. It looks like this month, hopefully, or possibly early April. For those on 13.0-86.x, a fix may not arrive until early to mid-June 2022, so kind of seems clear that they want you to upgrade there. And also for those on 12.1-65.x, mid to late April. So I guess a lot of customers are still on 12.1, so it's taking priority over the 13.0. That's my guess in a way. But while waiting for a fix, there are some workarounds that you could try. Possibly the easiest is to use an earlier version of Citrix Workspace app. So don't use 2203. Use Citrix Workspace app for Mac 22.01.0.9, our earlier versions, or for Windows, 22.2.0.4525, our earlier versions. It's important to note, since the Workspace app does crash the ADC, that you won't really have a fix until you've downgraded the client on all of your client devices. So if you've got people working from home on personal devices and they're still on 2203, 
it seems this could still have the potential to cause you problems. So this might not be an easy workaround. The other workaround suggested is if you choose to continue using the latest versions of the Workspace app, you can disable EDT Insight in the Citrix ADC appliance using a command provided in the CTX article, which I'll share with this episode, which is episode 223. And you'll find that at fivebytespodcast.com under reference links for this episode. But essentially, the command disables HDX Insight for any EDT-related data, which means you cannot view the Insight information on Citrix ADM for EDT traffic. And this will, however, not affect EDT-related functionality on the Citrix ADC appliance, so just that data. To me, that seems like the lesser of two evils, at least until there's a permanent fix and you can re-enable the EDT insights then. Google have released Chrome version 100, and it features a new shortcut icon that you might struggle to notice any difference with, really. Uh, They seem to have just removed the slight shadow effect that was there before and made it a little more minimalist, I guess. Uh, But also, this release includes a digital goods API that is said to be an API for querying and managing digital products to facilitate in-app purchases from web applications in conjunction with the Payment Request API. This API will be linked to a digital distribution service connected to via the user agent. In Chromium, this is specifically a web API wrapper around the Android Play Billing API. Google Chrome 100 also includes a new multi-screen Windows placement API that allows web applications to offer multi-screen experiences. In some other Google Chrome news that also affects Microsoft Edge 2, an actively exploited zero day has been disclosed. Google and Microsoft have released patches of their own for the same vulnerability, which is CVE-2022-1096 for Edge. And while neither company has given much detail about the problem, Google has described it as being of high severity. So that's when you'll want to patch as soon as possible. TechCrunch.com reported this week that Google Cloud has launched its Suspend Resume feature for virtual machines into general availability. TechCrunch state that while the instance is suspended, you don't pay for the cores and RAM it would typically use. Instead, you only pay for the storage cost of the instance memory. Operating system licensing may also be reduced, according to Google. Google argues that its solution is different to other cloud players because storage for the image is dynamically provisioned when a VM is suspended and independent of the boot disk. This means you don't have to worry about running out of space on the boot disk and the suspended instance consumes less storage. While it is suspended, the instance's IP address remains in place and once the instance is resumed, the memory is simply moved back from storage to the instance memory and the cycle continues. They also claim it's available across a wider range of operating systems too. The limit is 60 days for being in this suspended state. So if you leave a VM in that state for longer, then after 60 days, it's automatically terminated. Techzine.eu has reported that the European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen announced that the EU and United States have reached an agreement for legal EU-US data transfers. 
The new agreement will be ironed out in the coming months, and the agreement achieves the same goal as the Privacy Shield, which came to expire in 2020. So the first draft is only months away, presumably. Von Delane stated, quote, We have found an agreement in principle on a new framework for transatlantic data flows. This will enable predictable and trustworthy data flows between the EU and US, safeguarding the privacy and civil liberties, end quote. So it is pretty interesting because there's been a lot of contention around data privacy and protecting the data of European people from the United States. I mean, there's whole maps of cables being laid to circumvent the need for European data to traverse through American networks. So perhaps the timing of this may have more to do with the geopolitical state of things at the moment uh, with the war in Ukraine and an ever-increasing pressure caused by cyber attacks affiliated with nation-states. Is this a good thing in the long run? I'm not sure. I guess we'll see. A new update to FSLogix has been released, and this fixes issues where the FSLogix profile service would crash if it was unable to communicate with the FSLogix cloud cache service. Uh, Windows Server 2019 version 18.09 and newer versions of Windows Server natively support per-user search indexes. And FSLogix search indexing is no longer available on those versions of Windows Server. Trolling through the notes, I don't see any change in the synchronous, asynchronous nature of how FSLogix processes the profile at login. So that's a little concerning as there may still be logon performance degradation with this release. Version 2203 of Microsoft Endpoint Manager Intune has been launched, and this update includes some new macOS settings in the settings catalog, a group policy reporting framework, Google settings in the settings catalog and administrative templates. Uh, iOS and iPadOS notifications will now require the March company portal update and more there's a huge list of enhancements and changes so check it out for yourself and i'll share a link to that with this episode and now this episode scripts tricks and tips this week guy leach shared commandlets and a blog via flexible it on automating msix packaging with powershell so packaging seems to be back in vogue And I'm sure MSIX is going to be pretty high on the list of topics that packagers want to check out. So, hey, do it the smart way. Automate as much as possible. Check out Guy's blog and PowerShell commandlets. And also from Guy, this week he said that in case you need to sign binaries with a code signing certificate, which if you're trying to use MSIX, you need a code signing certificate, then using the set-authenticode signature in PowerShell will do it as well as scripts. Ethan Weiner shared a two-part video series this week and a blog on the life cycle of an HTTP message, which I thought was pretty interesting because I was doing quite a bit with HTTP requests when working with APIs recently. So having a breakdown of how that transaction occurs is pretty useful in that context. Finally, Donna Ryan shared a GitHub repository for people to share PowerShell scripts that are related to managing Windows 365. 
I would guess this mostly plays into endpoint analytics proactive remediation scripts for doing things like detecting issues and then remediating issues. But interesting, GitHub repository would be cool if people started to contribute their scripts into this repo, or at least maybe flag your own scripts on your repo with this repo, showing how little I know about GitHub other than what I do myself, which is pretty much one-way traffic. Well, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. And if you are in Scottsdale next week for the EC Masters Retreat, I'll see you there.